0: Whatever financial challenge you're having, I say tackle it right away, but I would also say build a strong team. It may start with just one person a year or one person every two years, but really try to focus on building a team of advisors that can really give you great guidance, whether it's a real estate agent, financial advisor, banker, CPA, estate planning attorney, and really try to tap into the networks too. Learn from those people as well. I would say tackle the problems and build a team.
1: Good day, everyone. It is Julia Lachey here with my co-host, Emma Keith, Daniel Dixon on the Color of Money podcast. We have a great guest today. Today, we are going to be talking about financial advisors. Uh, On many of our episodes, we've talked about crafting your wealth squad. That's the one we had with Kimber McKee and the people you should have on your team as you go on this journey of building wealth. And in that conversation, we said you should have a financial advisor. So we found one. We got Kylie, who happens to be my financial advisor, and he's going to talk to us today about what that even means, what that is, uh, what that looks like. And the other thing that I like about Kylie is Kylie is one of us. And I don't mean by black people. He's that, too. But I mean one of us as in an entrepreneur. Uh, he has his own business. He owns his own business. Uh, and it's run. It sounds like uh, pretty much like our, our franchises are run. Um, so we're going to hear from Kylie. And Kylie, if you wouldn't mind just going ahead and introducing yourself to the audience.
0: Yeah, thank you, Julia, for having me and Emmerich and Daniel as well. I do appreciate the, uh, the invitation and. And um, this time to have this conversation. So I am an independent financial advisor uh, located here in Bloomington, Minnesota, uh, which is a suburb of Minneapolis. I've been independent for about seven years now. And essentially what that means is that I help my clients build, manage, preserve and transition wealth throughout their lifetime uh, with beginning with the big picture in mind. And essentially what that means is just having conversations about what their financial goals and objectives are. Uh, when they want to accomplish those goals and objectives. And oftentimes it could be a retirement planning conversation. So we'll talk about here's where we are today, but here's where we want to be tomorrow. And what that means is we got to craft a customized plan to help them achieve those goals. And so it's a proactive approach. It's one thing to have a plan and not follow it and having a plan and following it. So I call it a plan of record. So this is something that we would track on a regular basis, have our annual annual meetings, things of that nature.
1: Now, the first thing, Kylie, I guess is uh for a lot of people, it sounds like when you start talking about financial advisors or we had your guy on Daniel and he was talking about trusts in estates, it just sounds like you have to have a lot of money to even get started like does do people need to already have a bunch of money for you to advise them on their finances before they meet with you, or what does that look like?
0: yeah, that's a good question, Julie. I would say that um in general, various advisors have their, their their different requirements. Some will say, well, you got to have a quarter of a million of assets before I take you on as a client. Others may have a higher limit and some may not. I don't have a limit per se. <clears throat> However, if we do go below a certain threshold, let's just call it 100,000, they have to be willing to put in the work in order to make sure that they're trying to achieve their financial goals. So, if, And everybody has to start somewhere. You know, if they're starting ground zero and we're talking about accumulation, we're having a serious conversation about, you know, what their financial goals may be, whether it's retirement, wealth accumulation in general, maybe it's a major purchase, maybe it's education funding. But we'll have that conversation with the thought in mind that, okay, well, there's a bigger picture that we're trying to really accomplish. So let's really get to work and identify, one, what those goals and objectives are. And two, let's craft a plan and we're going to follow that plan. And we're going to review it on a regular basis. So I would say that you don't necessarily have to have a ton of money. Um, you do have to have the willingness and the desire, but you would also got to have the cash flow. I mean, without cash flow, then there's there's nothing to talk about. This conversation is over with. So you got to have the cash flow. But you know, when, with that, there has to be the discipline. So in the event that you do have income, um, in some cases, you really have to identify. Well, what are my expenses? Am I in the green? Am I in the red? And if I'm in the red, well, what are some of the things that I need to do to correct that? Maybe you need to purge your budget, identify the things that you don't need on a monthly basis, eliminate that, and create this exercise where whereas you're eliminating these different things from an expense perspective just to create more cash flow, a surplus of cash, and then essentially start paying yourself on a regular basis, whether it's 10% or 15%, but let that accumulate over time. And I'm a big believer for those that are just beginning. I think it's really important to have that safety net or a cushion. That could be three to six months of your after-tax income set aside in a cash account. Once you've accumulated that, then maybe you start looking above and beyond that and putting that money into a brokerage account or an investment account where you're actually investing that money above and beyond your savings that's used for the unexpected. So I would say in short, um, you don't have to have a lot of money. I think you need to have the discipline and the desire to do it. So, hey,
2: yeah, Cali. You know, you said something. You started off with you and you said different people have different limits. Like, some people say you have to have $250,000, some people $100,000. Is that like a personal, is that just a, a, a business decision of where people want to work with people? Is that like the uh, discriminator? And the reason why I asked that question is because I've heard that a few different times in talking to people, and sometimes... Uh, People say things to you as a discriminator to see if you're really their client or you're really serious about it. So is that like, is that just a business decision or what? Why do you work in a space that you work in? That's a that's the real question. And why don't you work in a different space? And I I believe that's important for other people listening Mm -hmm. because that's a part of selecting uh, the idea of selecting a financial advisor and what their thought process is and when they're dealing with people.
0: Yeah, so those are great points and great questions, Emrick. so I would say, let, let's tackle the, um, the requirement first. So the the, the the asset limitation or threshold, if you will. And so it, it's gonna be contingent upon the advisor and it's also gonna be contingent upon the advisor and the broker dealer that they may be affiliated with. Because there's some broker-dealers that say that, all right, you as the advisor, and it could be an employee, that you can't take on any clients below, say, 250000 of investable assets. There are some advisors that may make the business decision to say, you know what, I really want to focus on high net worth individuals. Okay, so, so maybe they got to have a half a million or one million, or the compensating factor could be the amount of income that they're generating on an annual basis before you would take them on as a client. There's some advisors that say, okay, well, if I don't manage the assets, then I can put together a financial plan and I'm going to charge X amount for that financial plan on an annual basis. It can be anywhere between, say, 5000 and 10000 on an annual basis. Okay, so I would say in some cases it's going to be a business decision that's made by the, the advisor. Oh, sorry, <laughs> y'all. Y'all can't okay. see this, but I, the, the, I
1: broke the microphone. Keep talking, Kylie. Keep touching, talking.
0: <laughs> In a lot of cases, it might be a business decision that's made specifically by the advisor, but there could be some cases where the advisor may be limited based upon the affiliation that they may have with that particular broker dealer that they're affiliated with. Okay. So, Which is an excellent question. So now I'll go back to why I'm in this business. And for one, I'm a people person. And I think my business, it's um, meeting people is what we do. Making connections is what we do. But I do believe financial planning in general, in my opinion, a lot of it is about organization. Knowing what you have and what it can do for either you and or your family and business as well. And so from that perspective, I like talking to people. I love talking to business owners. I like identifying what really drives them, what motivates them to do what they do. Um, And, you know, as business owners, as the three of you know, you know, it's uh, you got to be a drill sergeant on yourself to be successful and and accomplish your, your goals that's associated with your business. You know, whether you are trying to multiply the revenue, you bring it in say, uh, employees that really buy into your your mission and your vision. And in a lot of cases, as a business owner, you wear multiple hats. So you may not have a lot of time to focus on the investments. Or in some cases, if you're trying to attract and retain talent, one way to do that is by implementing um, financial benefits, such as retirement planning and, of course, health insurance, life insurance, things of that nature. So those are the conversations that we have with with clients, whether they be an individual that works for a corporation that needs private wealth planning or individuals like yourself that run your own business that want to attract and retain talent. So if I'm a business owner and if I want to attract talent, you know, maybe I need to think about implementing a qualified retirement plan so my employees can plan for their financial future. We can implement a 401k plan with maybe a profit sharing component that can be pretty generous. And there's some other benefits on the non-qualified space that you can implement to also attract and retain talent. So I like having that conversation with business owners, uh, finding out what really drives them. But I think this is a really good way to impact people in a positive way, but also give back. Because I feel like being in this business, uh, Julia mentioned that, one, this is twofold, what she said, one of us. Uh, of course, being a business owner, but also being a people, person of color, I think it's incumbent upon myself to give back to the community and have these conversations about what's available in terms of resources, what we need to be doing, thinking about baseline financial um, financial services, and maybe start with, at the ground level with, all right, well, let's talk about the budget. And then once you get that figured out, let's talk about creating that, uh, that emergency plan or emergency fund. I call it the sleep well at night fund, which means you have three to six months of after-tax income set aside in a cash account for the unexpected. And then taking advantage of, say, whatever retirement plans that might be offered to you through your employer. And oftentimes when people ask, well, I have access to a 401k through my employer. Should I be making contributions? And my first response to that is I I ask a question, I answer a question with a question and I ask, are you getting a match? And if the answer is yes, you definitely should be making a, a contribution to your plan. I think you should either way. But definitely a yes if you're getting a matching contribution from the employer because that's that's essentially free money. So I like having these conversations with people. Um, and the education piece I think is really important. And I think communities of color really need to have access to resources to have these conversations, whether it's investments, mm-hmm. taxes, insurance, and estate planning.
2: Yeah, and, and that's clear because you got to have the conversation. If you don't have the resources, all you ever having is a conversation. There's no opportunity there. You're mm-hmm. just having a conversation. And, I, and everything starts with a conversation. The reality is you get people to a place where they can take advantage of the opportunity.
0: Right. Yeah. And, and that, that that's a really good way to put it. You know, and the way I look at it, too, Emmerich, is that kind of going back to the um, being a resource Um, being a people person or connector. I think it's really important as a business owner, especially in the financial services industry, that you have to increase your uh, network of resources, uh, cultivate those relationships. People like yourself that are in real estate. I learned a lot from Julia from real estate about having her her talk about real estate, what it really means um, in terms of building wealth, a lot of resources, but also having relationships with bankers. Uh, with CPAs, estate planning attorneys, because at the end of the day, no matter what you do, if you're really good at what you do and you're a really good people person, you you know how to connect and cultivate relationships and people trust you, they're going to come to you and say, you know, Emmerich, Daniel, Julia, Kylie, who do you know that does ABC or XYZ? Because they know you're well connected, they can trust you and they're going to accept your favorable introductions to Whatever industry or professional that they're looking for. And I think that's really important to be able to help structure a team around your clients as well, or even prospective clients or centers of influence. Right. So
2: just to, just so you know, I learned lot, I get I learned a lot from Julia too, because she routinely harassed me on what I'm not doing the proper way. And so I learned a lot from Julia too on a regular basis.
1: I make this <laughs> down. It's only because I care, Emory. Okay, all right, okay. I received that.
3: <laughs> now Kylie, what do you what do you see? I, I got two questions. What first question is what do you see in in our community that is the biggest challenge with building wealth or or connecting with the financial advisor? And for a lot of our listeners, what are the what are the first two or three questions they should be asking themselves to prepare themselves for that conversation of either getting with the financial advisor, finding one or thinking they're ready? Cause what I've seen over the years is people are nervous to approach a financial advisor because they don't think they're there yet. And they don't think they have their, 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 their ducks in a row to really have that professional conversation with an advisor. So t- two questions. What do you think?
0: Yeah, those are great questions, Daniel. I would say the, the first one, it's access, um, access to the resources, access to advisors. And I think that's where the community education comes into play. And in some cases, I think it's important to do maybe the pro bono work and go into different organizations that support communities of color and make them aware of different resources that might be available. So I think that might be one of the biggest hurdles, essentially, is just access, because it's hard to get those answers if you're not talking to anybody about estate planning. You know, do I need to have a will or trust or power of attorney? Or if I leave a job or if I was laid off, but I have these qualified retirement plan assets, what are my options? You know, does it just need to sit there or is there another option that I can take advantage of? So I think a lot of it is just access to resources. And, you know, if you don't have the access, then there's no confidence. Uh, You don't know the questions to ask. Uh, You don't know what your options are. And I think the other thing is too, is it's, you know, talking to Julia again about building wealth through real estate. And I think, once somebody has a unfavorable experience with credit, I think that can be very damaging because then they're thinking, OK, well, there's no way in the world that I can buy a house. And as we all know, obviously, as we all know, that one of the really the biggest way to build wealth is is through real estate. And so they're thinking, that, you know, I, I have a checkered background in terms of my credit. I'm not going to be able to qualify. I'm not even going to try. But having that conversation, and I had this conversation uh, last month with a with a, with a small group um, about budgeting, credit, and debt management. And the credit piece is really important because I think it's really important for all of us to understand. Well, what's on our credit report, and if there's something on there that shouldn't, okay. Well, how do we navigate that? How do we get that corrected? You know, and and how do we build the credit? And how many credit cards should I have? You know, is it two, three, four? You know, I'm a big believer of having three, three credit lines, maybe four, because we know that they report to the different uh, credit repositories, uh, maybe one of three or two of three or all three of three. From my understanding, I think there's a fourth now, besides Experian, Equifax and TransUnion. So that's why you have the variation, but it's really important to create the the credit history um, and making sure that your payments are on time, purging your budget, understanding what your debt looks like. And then talking about The economy as well so as we get into investing whether it be your 401k or having your own brokerage account well how does the the economy really affect what i'm doing and so we have that conversation about the interest rate cycle where we are now higher interest rates today versus what it looked like two years ago and spin it back a decade because now the, the conversation has been about okay are we in a recession is the recession looming Well, think about what that really means for you personally, because if I have a lot of high interest debt and we go into a recession, and I don't want to get too deep here, but typically what happens is that the Fed goes to what they call a zero interest rate policy. So they're going to lower interest rates to kind of spike the economy, get productivity going again. And if I have a high interest rate on my mortgage and my automobiles, that presents opportunity for me, provided that I still have a job. Because a lot of people do lose jobs in recessions, right? But if I still have a job and I know that interest rates are being dropped due to a recession, that gives me an opportunity to refinance my long-term debt at a lower rate and create more cash flow. That's an opportunity. There's a saying that never let a good financial crisis go to waste, and that's the way you got to really think about it in some cases. Okay, so you know, Daniel, I'm, I'm sorry. My apologies. What was question number two?
3: What a first? I think you kind of, I think you kind of answered it, right? It's the first couple of questions we should be asking, asking ourselves to, to be prepared for the conversation with this professional, with, with you. Right. And I think, I think you answered it with budgeting, credit monitoring, <laughs> and then debt management. And getting those yeah, three yeah, things, yeah, understanding, yeah. understanding those three things is really where to start because we can't go from zero, no budgets to wealth building overnight. It's, it's, it's a stepping yeah. stone process. Well, yeah.
1: I think one of the things... Uh, That I'm that I'm here and just sitting here listening to you, um, Kylie, is that you you enjoy the educational Mm -hmm. aspect of it. And that's tremendously important. I don't even remember how I met you because it's been so many years now. But Kylie is is very important because let me just explain I'm the average person on this on this podcast. That's why I'm here. That's my part. That's my role in this Color of movie podcast. I am not wealthy like Emmerich and Daniel. You're ridiculous. Right?
3: Like, you stop <laughs> it.
1: So I'm not rich like them. I'm just the regular person. So uh, to be honest, I'm just saying this. I'm prefacing the fact that I, I don't understand most of the stuff that Kylie talks about. Uh, in fact, probably, I'm, I'm just going to even be honest, we found somebody that, or I have found somebody, and I'm encouraging other people to find somebody that you can at least ask these questions to. That when you call and ask them a basic question after I don't know how many years, Kylie has been at least ten years. That I'm like, uh, do I got a four hundred one k? I mean, that's embarrassing. I who you have you have you asked somebody got a kind of question when? But he never. But he's he loves educating, and so he spends a lot of time making sure you understand uh, what's going on. And I think that's important because this whole podcast is about educating people. Is finding somebody that can at least educate you about what it even is uh we you know what is what what happens with this and and then there's another element of finding that person when we talk about building your wealth squad the other element of that is finding somebody that you can trust now i don't again i don't remember who i don't know if you remember Kylie. who even refer i don't even remember how we met
0: i do it was uh, it was lance and nicole knuckles
1: Oh yeah, that's right. At their party. Yeah. That's right. So yeah. I met, I met a guy at a party that knew something about money and I, you know, and it was uh, in, in building those relationships, you find somebody you trust because a friend referred them and uh, being able to trust because I don't understand. And I think this is a lot of people. It's like, I don't really understand that. I'm just not even going to go in that road road because I don't, I don't even get it. I just had the trust of, he sound like he knows what he's doing. And honestly, I'm telling you, and I'm I, I'm, I'm just saying this because I know I'm not the only one out there. I don't be you knowing what Kylie talking about ninety percent of the time, but I trust him and I know he's not gonna run off with my money. Because also I saw him at a few basketball games and I knew our kids. And in the worst case scenario, I know how to find you. You know, I, <laughs> I would get <laughs> <hit> somebody. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you
2: know what Julian? You yeah. said something that was important, where you said you took the step to find out more. And and for a lot of people, that's the issue. Like they know that there's a such, there's such thing as a financial advisor. Um, and they don't reach out, and they really believe that they should. And there's that fear, particularly in our community. Yeah. There's yeah. a fear of talking about money. If you want to empty the room out with a bunch of, with I'm just being transparent with a bunch of black folks, start talking about money. <laughs> start talking about money because we, we our relationship has been not the best with money, and we really don't understand money. I and don't. It's not, it's not a comfortable place for us, and. and we just don't like having that conversation. That's what I love about this podcast because we're putting it straight up right out in front. We're talking about money. Every yeah, episode is yeah. talking and about money. And I think, money. though,
1: it's important, though, that you have to find people that you trust to do what they say. So I obviously trusted Lance. Lance says, call this guy. I call this guy. Kylie tells me to do something, i do it. I don't really understand half the stuff that I do. Like just when Dan- Daniel started talking about um, uh, what was it, Daniel, that I, the, the depreciating thing, that people just did it for me for $700. The, um,
3: cost segregation?
1: Cost segregation know what that means all i know is daniel said to do it daniel's got a little money and i'm gonna do what daniel said to do yeah but to
3: to piggyback on that julia i didn't know what to do either brett told me to do it brett got me with this person that i trusted and just did what they told
0: me to do (laughs) i don't know what i'm doing if (laughs) y'all tell me to do it i'm sorry what was that term again can you repeat it cost segregation okay can you provide a little bit more context Uh, can you explain to me what what that essentially is you want to do
3: it, Daniel? I was hoping you were going to do it, Emmerich. Okay. Well, cost segregation. <laughs> I don't mean to put you guys on the spot. I was
2: just No, curious.
1: no, no. It's fine. I, it's I, want, I want to hear Daniel's version, though. I want to hear Daniel's version because he got on the, the Christmas hat, and I feel like it's going to be a little more jolly.
3: Fair. Fair point. All right. Correct me <laughs> if I'm wrong, Emmerich. So, cost segregation is accelerating the depreciation. So, being a real estate professional, when you have an investment property, you're typically able to, to, to depreciate that over 27 and a half years. And being a real estate professional allows you to scr- to push all that depreciation into year one to do- to reduce your taxable income.
2: So, just, and just so we clear, it's not just real estate professionals. it, right. it it's, it's just that you own a physical asset, which happens to be a property, Mm-mm. and you what have you're to- doing.
3: Huh? You have to be a real estate professional. You have to spend half of the working hours as a real estate professional to be able to utilize this this tool.
2: Well, in that way, I, I did a cost segregation, well, and that's on investment properties. I did it on my building. That's how I found out about cost segregation. So on my building, since I own the building, they could all I could do it. But well, maybe because it was. It's the building that I occupy. I was going to say, Emory, do you
1: realize you're a real estate professional? You're a real
2: estate professional. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) It wasn't wasn't the fact that real estate professional. is the fact that my business is operated out of this space.
1: Listen, and this is what I'm saying. Here's my point. I don't know. All I know is Daniel used the word. I called somebody. I called my accountants. They said call somebody. I called the people that did a cost segregation. And all I know is I owe $8,000 less in taxes. That's all I know.
2: Well, we all in the same boat because when I got introduced to it, somebody called me and said, Emmerich, you guys own your building. You should do a cost segregation on your building. And I had no idea. what. And as they broke it down to me, it came out to windows, doors, floors, toilets. Anything can be depreciated and take all the depreciation you can get. And when I saw what the tax bill savings was, I say, give me two of those. <laughs>
3: it's, it's, incre- it's incredible to what it does. And it's a it's a special tool that when you want to go qualify for a loan, as a lender, we add the depreciation back into your income to qualify you for the for the mortgage. So you you reduce your taxable liability. So you pay less taxes, and then you qualify at the same number as if you had that income in the first place. But you have not a realtor per se, real estate professional, if you own flips, if you're in property management, if you are an investor, different things like that, you just have to use, what is it, 20 hours a week times 52 weeks, however many hours that those are, that has to be your your time spent in that space in order to be able to use. So the the average person that just owns properties, but doesn't, is is an accountant or something like that, can't necessarily utilize that tool because they're not a
0: real estate professional.
1: That part I didn't. My point of all of it was, you just have to have the conversation with somebody that you trust enough to take the next step.
0: And I don't mind. I don't mind repeating myself either. So, and and I know these are really important conversations to have. And Emmerich, you're right. I think it was you, Emmerich, that mentioned that. You know, if you really want to clear room of us out really quick, let's just talk. Start talking about you know, uh, in the event of death and money things in that situation. Because you know, I, when I started out, in no one, and I didn't mean to cut you off. I'll make it quick. I started out with Northwestern Mutual Financial Network, and that was primarily an insurance-based company. So having that conversation about life insurance with our people was really, really challenging. But I think at the end of the day, we have to have these conversations because we are—we're not going to be around forever, obviously, and there has to be a plan, a cash flow plan for investable assets, cash or any other tangible assets we may own? What's the plan of action? In the event that something happens to me, where are my assets going? And you got to have that conversation. And the other part of it too is, well, a lot of people accumulated wealth with life insurance. Now, obviously the, the, um, the insured wasn't around to reap the benefits of that, but you have life insurance for a reason. And there's, there's multiple reasons why. You know, if you're a high income earner, and you are trying to get accumulate wealth in a really tax-efficient manner, well, there's different vehicles that you can utilize in the the life insurance space to help you accumulate that wealth. But oftentimes, it's covering the liabilities. And maybe even it's replacing income that's lost in the event that anything happens in in the event of death. And if that happens, I have one or two or three kids, well, how are we going to plan for education? So building that piece of it into... Your overall financial plan is really important. Yeah, I but think.
3: Kyle, it, it, I'm sorry, Kylie. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. My bad.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, it was a really it was really challenging having that conversation because oftentimes our people don't want to have that conversation.
3: Well, I think to stay in that same breadth of insurances, and a lot of real estate agents don't pay any attention to this is disability insurance. If you do get hit by a bus and you can't go show houses. How are you going to continue to pay your bills without having to go through foreclosure and late payments and all the rest of this stuff? So um, I'm sure you operate in that in that space. Can you talk a little bit about the disability insurance and why that's so important?
0: Yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's that. All right. Well, if you are your business, then and something happens to you and you are unable to perform your normal duties as a professional, then that's where disability can be a huge benefit because there's um, there's there's various definitions of of, uh, of of disability, and so and you find that out when you actually take out a disability policy. So I think the first recommendation is when you're looking for that particular resource, make sure you're working with a company that's really reputable, an insurance company that's really reputable, that one has high credit ratings, two. They have the history of paying out claims when they're filed, mm-hmm. and when you take out a disability policy, you want to make sure if you have a special niche, you want to make sure that your niche is covered. So if you, as a real estate professional, if you're, dis- if, if you're disabled and you are unable to work as a real estate professional, your income is going to be covered, Right. Now, you might be able to go off and work and do something else, like administrative work, whatever the case may be, and some insurance companies will say, well, you're still able to get gainful employment, so we're not gonna cover your claim. But it's really important to make sure that you, you have a policy that truly identifies your profession and what you do, and if you're unable to perform that duty, then that claim is gonna kick in and you're gonna receive your benefits. So I think it's really important. And identifying the amount that you actually make in that particular industry or your profession, you wanna make sure that amount's gonna be covered as well. Okay.
2: Mm-hmm. So I'm you I'm sorry, I'm going get a question. No, 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 you you said a couple of things. First part you said was make sure you seek out a reputable company that's gonna pay out the claim. Yeah. Well, I, you gotta make sure you seek a reputable company that's gonna take care of you in the first place, but and it comes back to having a reputable professional so my question to you is number one are you taking new clients number two do you take clients that aren't in minnesota and number three if you're doing both of those how can people get in touch with you
0: (laughs) great question so the the answer is yes i am taking on new clients um and yes I do take on clients from multiple states, so I'm licensed in multiple states, and 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 it's it's pretty simple for me to get licensed in a state that I'm not licensed in, um, and it only takes literally like three or four days to do so. So it's it's pretty simple to do, and so um, and people can get a hold of me by calling um, calling my office. i you know my 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 website address is DemeryWealthAdvisors.com. All my contact information is on there: office number, cell number um email address as well. Can you just give emails.
2: us a, well can you just give us a, a, a phone number anyway, just in case? Oh,
0: certainly. Um office number nine five two eight three seven two six eight seven. And um I didn't hear them, I couldn't hear that. Say it again. 952-837-2687. One more time and I didn't hear it that well. Nine five two Eight
2: three seven two six eight seven. Okay, I just I like want it. to make sure they like get it because they're going to be riding right. in their car, and I want to make sure they get it three times so they can't say we didn't provide them an opportunity to call Kylie. Got it.
0: Yeah, I and like I
1: think it. you've also been saying a lot of things, even when you think about uh, uh, should I call a financial advisor? What does a financial advisor do? You've mentioned four uh, hundred one k's, IRAs, stocks, mutual funds, insurance. So. All of that falls under the spectrum of just calling somebody because we've had conversations on this podcast about getting proper insurance. Uh, and so basically, a financial advisor um, can
0: do, help us with all of those things. Yeah, you're right, Julia. And so I like to take the comprehensive approach, which means that not only are we going to be looking at the investments, but we're going to have a conversation about what I call asset and income protection, which falls into that life insurance or the insurance spectrum altogether. It could be life insurance. It could be disability. It could be long-term care, health insurance. And so I would say for the most part, I have the resources to directly uh, implement those resources uh, for for clients that that have a need. So we're going to go through, it's more of a needs-based process. And it's what I call a, a balance sheet approach. So we go through the conversation about um, the investment management if you lost a job you have 401k what are my options we have that conversation we'll talk about protecting your assets and your income and maybe it's in the form of life insurance disability long-term care but we'll also talk about tax efficiency as well so how can we be tax efficient pre and post retirement okay and so in learning some of these things like i just learned today from you daniel is really important because I may come across a real estate professional or a client that's heavily into real estate and they may not even know about this. And now that I've learned something that I can research and fully understand. And then when I see uh, an opportunity to, to deliver information that can be helpful, it's really important to have these conversations too, because I find that learning different things is really helpful from the perspective of being able to offer more resources to clients. But I would say that final piece is going to be estate planning. So I talked about investments, the asset and asset and income protection with life insurance or different various insurances, tax efficiency, and that may take collaboration with a CPA or your tax professional. But the last piece is going to be the estate planning, dotting the i's and crossing the t's with say will, trust, power of attorney, healthcare directive, and it kind of goes right back to that piece where a lot of us don't like to have that conversation, but it's necessary. Mm -hmm. especially if you're a business owner, you're the breadwinner, you have a family that's dependent upon you. What happens in the event that anything happens to Kylie, Julia, Emmerich or Daniel? Is the family going to be okay? What's going to happen with the business? So succession planning is really important. Just having a plan of action that you're comfortable with, knowing that you you have a, a structured plan for your assets to flow exactly to who you want it to go to and not have to really deal with probate. So that's yeah. the other part. So you want to have a plan because there's always going to be one, but the courts may tell you what that plan may be if you don't do right. the proper the proper estate planning. So, so so to answer the question, Julia, you know, I think taking a comprehensive approach is really important by having these conversations in, in all those different areas. And we're we're not gonna climb the mountain in one day. You know, it's gonna take having multiple conversations. Every single year, throughout the year, we may start with maybe three things that we really want to identify and address, but then we're going to circle to items four, five, and six in the next meeting, and and so on and so forth. All
1: right. Well, I, I think we can wrap this up. I'd like to just ask Kylie, what's the one thing you'd like to leave the listeners with, if you could just have them leave with one thing today from this conversation? What would that be?
0: You know, I, I would say face your financial. Um, I would say I don't want to say troubles. But if there's anything financially that you're struggling with, I would say go right at it. Tackle it head on. Don't run from it. Address it. Because I think the, the longer you kind of go or if you prolong it, then the situation may snowball. If it's a situation where something as simple as not being able to open up a bank account, find out why. And figure out what you need to do to get it corrected. Credit. Figure out what's going on with your credit. Uh, But whatever financial challenge you're having, I say tackle it right away. But I would also say build a strong team. It may start with just one person a year or one person every two years, but really try to focus on building a team of advisors that can really give you great guidance, whether it's a real estate agent, financial advisor, banker, CPA, estate planning attorney, and really try to tap into their networks too. Learn from those people as well. I would say tackle the problems and build the team.
1: I like it. Thank you That's very good. much. Anything left, uh, Emrick, Daniel, that you'd like to say?
0: No. I just want to say
2: thank you for being here, Kylie. We really appreciate it. And uh, we trusted you gave your phone number three times and our listeners will respond appropriately.
1: It will also be in the show notes if you go to www.thecolorofmoneypodcast.com.
0: I appreciate you all. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you
1: so much, Kylie. Thanks for listening, everybody. Until next time. Follow the Color of Money podcast today and get notified when new episodes are released weekly. Be part
3: of this transformative listening experience.
1: This podcast
3: is for general informational purposes only. The views, thoughts, and opinions of the guest represent those of the guest and not KWRI and its affiliates and should not be construed as financial, economic, legal, tax, or other advice. This podcast is provided without any warranty or guarantee of its accuracy, completeness, timeliness, or results from using the information.